Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now on with Monkey Tennis. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I am hopping mad, and I want something in the middle. Yup, yup, absolutely. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Dad! Monkey tennis. Little pierce my foot of his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Oh. Monkey tennis. Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis. Okay. Where's my assistant? I do not know. Monkey tennis. Edmonds is a total wazzock of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, who the hell is that? Well, uh, this is great banter. Yeah. Monkey tennis. Back of the net. The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. Uh, for the uninitiated, we uh, take a look at all of Alan Partridge's vehicles, uh, TV, book, live show, etc. Uh, taking a look under the bonnet. Sometimes we have to take the driving gloves off when a particular vehicle is in need of a service, but ultimately we're all admirers of the handiwork. Uh, so if you're joining us for the first time, you can dive into past episodes where we've already covered the day-to-day, -day, Knowing Me, Knowing You, I'm Anna Partridge, Mid-Morning Matters, Alpha Papa, I Partridge, Nomad, Open Book, Scissor this time, Alan's live stand-up appearances, Stratagem, Alan's comic relief contributions, and we've spoken to Simon Greenall, a.k.a. Michael the Geordie, Tim Key, a.k.a. Sidekick Simon, Stephen Mangan, a.k.a. Sexy Dan, uh, and Susanna Fielding, a.k.a. Jenny Gresham, and a host of famous journalists, comedians, and presenters about their love of Alan. So to round off this labour-driving metaphor, allow me to introduce your four main spanners. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Would it be terribly rude to stop listening to you and go and speak to somebody else? Nick Older. While they have to choose between eating and heating, I'll forgo Dutchy pork sausages in favour of less expensive brands that mince up cheaper bits of the pig. And Tom Stab. 
She likes help for heroes and Cafe Nero's. <laughs> so uh, welcome back, everyone. We've never left it this long without a monkey tennis. So uh, thank you for rejoining us. Um, we've, we've got a little older. Um, we've got a little... No, we've just got a little older. That's that's it, really. Um, so huge thanks to everyone that's been asking for our return. We have had many, many messages while we've been off air, so to speak, um, and a couple of examples of those coming up. Um, as seasoned listeners will know, we like to start every series with a roundup of your feedback. Um, so we've got tits bits from you about various parts of Alan Cannon um, and also looking forward to some of the things that we'll be covering this series. Spoiler alert, we'll be starting with uh, From the Oast House Series 3 or Series 2, Tranche 2, depending on who you speak to. But before we get into that, uh, it's feedback time, and we're going to start with someone who's got in touch with Mr. Tom Dark. Yeah, I think this is uh, quite a good indication of a lot of the feedback we've had over the last 12, 13, 14 months, however long it's actually been. Um, this was an email from uh, McNeil Chapman, and he writes, You all have two APU issues in your charge currently, namely Oast House Series 2, Tranche 2, and Big Beacon. I recommend you start with the former, but beggars can't be choosers. My livelihood and sleep are literally suffering with waiting for the pod to start up again. I will be forced to send you a bill for my lost wages unless you start your important work again. Cheers, McNeil from San Francisco. Of course, trust an American to threaten you with litigation immediately. <laughs> but I do like that. Literally, his work is suffering because we haven't been podcasting. Didn't expect that. Uh, well, on that theme, uh, James Coughlin uh, has written in and he says, I think your commentary is best with a bit of retro perspective or retrospective, if you will. Uh, I think reviewing the series straight after is too soon. We don't get time to digest it, form our own opinions and then compare notes with your insights. Plus, we can enjoy the podcast. And once that has settled down, we get another series of your twaddle to enjoy a few weeks or months <laughs> later. So, yeah, take as long as you like and will Wally Banter be filling in? So, um, yeah, another listener there. Quite happy for us to take our time. Well, he'll be very pleased about this then. <laughs> and it will be twaddle. Yep. <laughs> uh, we got a, another message uh, from one of our listeners, Daniel Sumpton, who messages on Facebook. And he says, uh, hi, guys. Happy New Year. I hope all is well. We haven't heard from you guys in a while. Another concerned listener here. Um, I just wanted to say a big thank you for all the amazing episodes over the years. I've listened to every Ruddy episode several times, bloody hell, and it never gets boring. You have? Uh, do you have any plans for future instalments? If not, a great big thank you for all your hard work. Oh, and I saw this in Waterstones at Christmas and thought of you. Um, we'll share this on socials, but Daniel has sent in a picture of um, the front cover of Alan's latest uh, non-fiction work. Oh, that's... Autobiography, non-fiction, I'm not sure, quite sure what we're calling it. Big Beacon uh, on the shelves. We'll of get to that in the next series. We'll I guess. get. We'll get to that uh, on the shelves of Waterstones, right next to the autobiography of Elon Musk. Now um, they are both sort of the the, the respective uh, authors' faces, and they have their hands in a sort of prayer gesture. And there is absolutely no way that uh, Steve and the Gibbons haven't lifted that directly from the Elon Musk autobiography <laughs> because it is absolutely uncanny and brilliant um so we will uh, share that on the socials and you can uh, judge for yourself i think that i think there's a bit of a trope where a lot of um kind of autobiographies have this cover stance it's not kind the of bouncing pen, cover stance like that, a the, the prayer yeah almost the a prayer music. cover stance yeah. yeah um so i reckon uh eagle-eyed listeners could probably find some other covers which have the same big beacon stance i think Stephen and the gibbons know exactly what they're doing with that 
But also, I really hope that uh, someone at Waterstones has placed these next to each other on purpose rather than yeah. Daniel spotting <laughs> it and then moving it and putting it over because uh, that really is just a, a little bit of fun that the Waterstones staff are having. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so for those of you champing at the bits to uh, to discuss and celebrate Big Beacon, um, we'll be going through your feedback, obviously. Then we'll be f- talking about uh, From the Oast House Series 3. And then later in the year, we're going to tackle Alan's third time, or fourth if you count Bouncing Back, or fifth if you count the other little one that he mentioned at one point. Uh, so we'll be tackling Big Beacon later in the year. Um, but right now, I wanted to go back to a discussion we had around a Variety article um, where the, he- the new head of Baby Cow at the time was discussing the possibilities of, of a sort of Allen in America style series. Um, so on that topic, Miguel Guido Pereira got in touch and said, Re-AP going to the US. Following his network-like outburst at the end of this time, do you think there's much mileage in him becoming a Farage Morgan-style British personality that tells it like it is, talking head on a Fox-esque news channel? Or considering his populist turn at the end of this time with Adam Partridge, I can see him getting caught up in the sense-making circle jerk that is the intellectual dark web YouTube circuit, Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, et al. You know the ones, ruddy idiots, the lot of them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I can I can kind of see them going down this route, but I feel like if they were going to go for this sort of Fox talking head GB News thing, they would have done it by now. I feel like that ship has sailed, even in terms of sort of parody, it's kind of been around for so long. Um, I also think that these days, Alan's more of a nuanced character i don't know that he would really fit into a sort of gb news fox even lbc mold uh keen to hear your thoughts i mean i think we've we've discussed this a few times around stratagem where it felt like stratagem could have been the vehicle that would have facilitated this kind of character development i think particularly um, as as miguel rightly says that the network like outburst at the end of this time feels like it would have led on to that perfectly um perhaps they didn't do that because it felt too obvious but i think the fact that it it wasn't done at that time does feel a bit like this kind of fox news idea gb news type thing yeah it's almost a bit like if they haven't done it by now i feel like it's not going to happen i think if you're going down the route of allen in america then you have to sort of dial it all up to 11 don't you because of what american tv is like and how this kind of avenue for partridge would need to fit into that sort of um uh fit into that mold of of that kind of like i say brash uh media personality and that's actually the alan over the years that i've come to like the least and prefer the more subtle nuanced kind of alan that we have seen in recent years so i would prefer it not to go down this route because i don't think it's the kind of alan that i would particularly like it would be the 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 cartoonishness of of sort of um older to older times partridge that i don't think has aged quite as well that's the only way i think they could make this work is if they took the the nuanced sort of slightly more wants to be liberal partridge had him basically rejected by the bbc picked up by an american network and then put under pressure to become more polarising. Oh, I see to, what you mean, s- yeah. To stir up more debate, yeah. to go back yeah. to that sort of cartoonish partridge that he was, and then that kind of internal wrestling of, like, does he have any morals or does he just want to be on TV at all costs? Like, the idea of him trying to stir up two opposing talking heads in a studio, I can see some appeal to that, but only if there's that struggle behind the camera. However, one thing I would really like to see is uh, Lynn get corrupted by Hollywood. I think that would be very, very funny. <laughs> um, on, on the subject of uh, 
Allen in America, or America Allen, as uh, I like to call it. Uh, Jamie Atkinson on Twitter uh, sent us a message uh, along this theme, writing about Toast of London. Uh, so with Toast, they did the UK character goes to America premise uh, for Toast of Tinseltown in, I think, early 2022. Um, so Jamie writes, I'm a bit dubious about Alan doing something similar. Guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, I mean, I don't think I've seen Toast of Tinseltown, so I don't know if anyone else in the group has. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, so I don't really know it, what, what that setup would be. Toast of Tinseltown was really weird because you had this incredibly quirky British character that felt relatively small and, and quite uh, London, you know, features and looms large in it. And then it was a bit of a kind of holiday on the buses where it didn't really make much sense. And I kind of got the impression that maybe Matt Berry uh, has just got friends in America now that were just keen to make this rather than it made sense as a story on paper. I have to confess, I love Toast. I also have to confess... I couldn't finish it. It was that. It was that good. <laughs> um, I don't think. I, but so the, would this a bit? This must have happened at the same around the time when obviously Matt Berry had gone to America and, and had and had had some success with um, what we do in the shadows, the TV series. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Exactly. I think I think he had Hollywood friends, and uh, through those friends, he was probably able to get this made. But it could it could have been good, but yeah, it wasn't the best. Yeah, but uh, crucially, was Clem H. Fandango in it? Uh, I guess I'm pretty sure he was. Uh, I kind of erased it from my memory, but uh, <laughs> I, I said he is an absolute standout of that show. <laughs> yes, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. Yeah. I was just going to ask, is this thing... So was Toast of Tinseltown, was this a BBC thing, whereas Toast originally was Channel 4? Was there something weird like that that went on with it as well? It was on BBC. Not sure oh, why, that's weird. but it, it was on BBC, yeah. yeah. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> Moving on, and we're going to um, revisit some feedback around um, Coogan's Run, which I have to say from from the outset, I, I've I've not seen, and there are kind of some some lines being called out that I might not be able to do justice to because I I simply haven't seen the show. Uh, probably a good time to ask: Has everyone else seen it? What's what's uh, what's everyone else's views on this? Have you seen it? I have a feeling I must have seen it, but I owned a copy on. VHS, which tells you how long ago it was. So uh, the, my, my memory of it is is little to none. I think I've only seen one scene of one episode, which I think is the same one that Tom has seen. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, that. I'll give it my best shot, and if I get it wrong, you can um, you can let me know. Anyway, Michael Brandon writes: Coogan's Run was a superb little series in its own right. Highlights being Death of a Salesman with Gareth Cheeseman for the classic line, "A wank, I think." Uh, did I get that right? How did how did that performance go? No, no, okay. not good. You're, you're not through to boot camp. Um, yeah. So basically, uh, uh, Gareth Cheeseman is left to his sort of own devices in uh, a hotel room, um, and he basically goes, kind of looks around and just goes, a wank, I think. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So the classic line, a wank, I think. Hopefully, I did that better. Well, um, and uh, so continuing with the uh, with the correspondence, um, so look out for the hotel room. Is it the same uh, room that was used in the future episode of I'm Alan Partridge? Uh, Cheeseman is post-Partridge as the series was made in 95. The day-to-day was well before that. Um, I'd say he was a cross between Sir Dansworth of Moodyshire and AP. Uh, Natural Born Quizzes with Patrick Marber was a great episode all round. Get Calf. I really enjoyed uh, Paul and Pauline Calf in the context of this episode and the excellent video diaries, which are absolute Coogan gold. 
The other three episodes are passable and have some lovely moments, but I think that those three would be your faves, despite the general disdain for Paul Calf. And I think um, we have been a little bit down on, on Paul Calf when we viewed it through the lens of uh, 2023 humour. But hey, hey, there's, there's room for Paul Calf. Um, but yeah, thank you for the note, Michael Brennan. And following on more correspondence about Gareth Cheeseman, uh, from Jonathan Brown this time, uh, he says, having listened to your previous episode, uh, sorry, having listened to your previous feedback episode, someone mentioned Gareth Cheeseman in Dearth of a Salesman as something you should watch as a link to Alan. I second this. Along with the similar character traits, it was written by Graham Linehan and Arthur Matthews, along with Steve, which is a big link to I'm Alan Partridge. However, the main reason you should give it a watch is that I read somewhere that when they were deciding which Steve Coogan character to develop into their own show, it was down to Alan Partridge or Gareth Cheeseman. So who knows, now you could be doing a Cheeseman podcast and not a Partridge one. That is quite interesting, but they are <laughs> quite... I wonder how many similarities there are. I think people have, have, have pointed out in the past the similarities between Gareth Cheeseman and Alan Partridge. I think the kind of dress stance is the same, isn't it? If you join us now, you're listening to a wank, I think, the Gareth Cheeseman <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've dodged a bullet. We've dodged a bullet. I don't in another think, timeline, I don't, in another universe. They, in, they wouldn't index that on uh, Apple Podcasts, would they? Um, <laughs> so, yes, continuing with uh, your feedback about other uh, Coogan projects uh, that we might want to cast an eye over, we're on to my, per- my pet favourite, Saxondale. Uh, Michael Brennan again says, Re Saxondale, you will need a basic grasp of 70s rock bands to fully enjoy the series. I'm sure the DVD versions and repeats have been cut for copyright music tracks. Sort of takes away from the gravitas of the series when you have a Muzak version of Led Zeppelin. Uh, but do watch out for cameos by Matt Berry and Tim Key and his excellent next-door neighbour played by Darren Boyd, who is also Daniel Langford in Mig Morning Matters. It really is an excellent series and Defo needs more attention. Uh, I would also add to this, if there are any kind of um, Partridge uh, fans out there that, that want to see it, we've often talked about the challenge of actually getting to see Saxondale. Um, so it is on Now TV and it is played uh, from time to time on UK Gold. So uh, two options there if you want to see Saxondale and don't want to buy a DVD. I think, didn't we discuss on the last batch of feedback episodes that it is possibly available on, was it Daily Motion? I think there are ways to get it without having to pay for Now TV as well, but uh, not for me to endorse that, just uh, throwing another option into the mix. Um, to continue on the, the Saxondale chat, um, so obviously this is something we were discussing, Saxondale and uh, Coogan's run, um, in our feedback episodes at the beginning of last series, series 14. So if some of this maybe doesn't make sense, we need a little refresher. That's the start of the conversation. 18 months later, here we are continuing this conversation. <laughs> um, Andy Marsh wrote to us, um, would you consider doing a breakout episode, brackets, episodes, reviewing Saxondale? Partly because of the Partridge crossover, partly because I've just seen Wally Banter in one episode. Um, I mean, I, I'm assuming the ac- the actor that plays Wally Banter, not the character Wally Banter, unless if Saxondale is actually in the APU, that could be interesting. Uh, would have to watch to find out, unless if um, Adam... You can clarify. Uh, it's been so long since I saw Saxondale, I honestly can't remember, but this is another good reason to go back to it because I like the idea that uh, that Wally Banter has a radio show in both universes. And <laughs> I like to think that... I like yeah. to imagine the music connection is such that Saxondale could be listening to Wally Banter. Um, meanwhile, Alan Partridge is setting up in the studio to go on after Wally Banter. Um, but yeah, have to have to revisit yeah. to find out. Some good, uh, some good APU uh, kind of, well, universe building or, or Steve Coogan world building. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would definitely be keen to uh, do to do this in, in some form, whether it's doing a couple of episodes overall or doing it episode by episode. Um, but I think, you know, the reality is we're definitely going to be doing Big Beacon next. And then perhaps I think 
that's hopefully an opportunity to look at some other Coogan work. Uh, but it is kind of depending on whether there's any new Partridge stuff because, you know, I think probably about a, uh, about a year ago, we were probably discussing, oh, we've covered everything we can cover in the APU, maybe let's do Saxondale, and then Oast House Series 3 and Big Beacon happened. So it's kind of down to uh, Coogan's work rate, I think. Well, speaking of other Coogan projects, um, we've had a message in from Lee Smart who says, in relation to other Coogan projects, have you considered an episode on Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible? Uh, I think it's criminally underrated with some great nods to classic horror. Uh, Jed, back me up. Uh, keep up the great work. Now, um, uh, I I was not aware of this, uh, have not seen it, but based purely on the artwork alone, which I found on IMDb, I highly recommend uh, that we all watch this because it does look uh, pretty funny. Uh, it's Coogan um, kind of across, he sort of looks like a cross between Scaramanga, Nosferatu and and me in about five years time I'd imagine and it looks like <laughs> it, it looks like he's trying it looks, like he's, it looks like he's struggling to poke, <laughs> focus his, uh, his eyes as well <laughs> um, but yeah I, w- I was genuinely in pieces looking at this cover I've no idea what it is but I it never fails to um, surprise me the kind of things in Coogan's back catalogue that I was just not aware of so that is a great shout Lee and I will be watching that and I'm sure Jed will back you up um, I'm not sure if I'm lining up the timelines here, but I wonder if Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible, there was a sort of spate around the kind of early 2000s of really good ensemble kind of parody pieces. So I'm thinking like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, um, Look Around You, like things like that, where it was kind of a surprisingly good hit rate of well-known comedy actors, all kind of doing their bit to sort of subvert the genre whether it's documentaries or kind of mystery or horror so in my mind this sits in amongst those kinds of shows but i have to admit i haven't seen it and i do suspect that perhaps it came before a lot of those uh, and if you weren't aware dr terrible's house of horrible was actually sort of an anthology series um based on uh horror films um episodic um and i had it on dvd um <laughs> i have to admit i'm possibly maybe watched it once at the time uh and haven't gone back to it and obviously who owns dvds anymore um it's been thrown out so i can't remember much about it but i do remember that cover that nick is referencing and it's safe to say that anything with someone boss-eyed will get nick in absolute stitches (laughs) um but i had an idea and i thought as it as dr terrible's house of horrible is a nod to 60s and 70s horror films it would be great for producer Jed to uh, chime in here with his one-minute series review or one-minute episode review or one-minute Jed's found a clip on the internet and watched it review. So please, take it away, Jed. Welcome back to Jed's one-minute reviews. So Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible is a decent parody of classic horror anthologies, specifically the Amicus 1965 classic Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, which was their first anthology-style film. Amicus went on to design their whole business model around the anthology format, producing the classic Tales from the Crypt a few years later. So Kukun's play on this format has him star as the titular Dr. Terrible, a cross-eyed man who looks like Kojak after a skiing accident, who tops and tails each episode with his musings of what you're about to see and what you've just seen. Each of the episodes does a good job in blending humour with horror tropes in a quirky and irreverent manner. With a runtime of only 30 minutes, 
each episode is a bite-sized adventure filled with absurdity and campy charm. The show cleverly satirizes various horror subgenres, from haunted houses to werewolves, with a tongue-in-cheek approach that keeps viewers entertained. The comedic performances and witty writing make it a fun watch, sounds of both horror and comedy, but overall, Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible really isn't for me. I think it's way too on the prosthetic nose. But if you want half an hour of playing the game, spot the comedian, then this is for you. I'm giving Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible 2 out of 5. See you next time on Jed's One Minute Reviews. Uh, thanks for that, Jed. Uh, although we haven't heard it in advance, so I'm uh, uh, just hoping you've not said anything libelous this time. Um, getting back into uh, Coogan's film and TV past, um, we've had another person get in touch on the subject of Tropic Thunder. Yes, so Nathan Shuttleworth got in touch by email, uh, and he says, Dear Tom, Tom, Adam and Nick, brackets and Jed. Have you seen the Reign of Darkness mockumentary created by Steve Coogan and Justin Theroux as a DVD extra for Tropic Thunder? It is a parody of the Hearts of Darkness documentary about Apocalypse Now, except for being for the film within a film of Tropic Thunder. In it, Justin Theroux plays a Werner Herzog-like filmmaker who documents the making of Tropic Thunder and interacts with its stars and crew. I thought it would be of particular interest to you since it gives Steve's character, Damien Cockburn, uh, more screen time than in the film due to it being set before his untimely death. I noticed that a lot of Alan comes through in the character Steve plays and I wondered if you all thought that as well or maybe I've seen so much Partridge that any time I see Steve I just think it's Alan. It's 30 minutes long and it's available on YouTube. He's shared the link. Um, I did watch a bit of it earlier. Um, I have to say I am probably leaning towards the latter where Nathan, you've watched so much Partridge that any time you see Steve, you just think it's Alan. He just have he does have some Partridge mannerisms, but um, it it it's Steve playing a sort of like obnoxious film director, um, bit of a megalomaniac, bit of a, a bit of a wild one, and um, yeah, I just think it's the case of it, it, it's it's Steve. So immediately you think his mannerisms are like Alan because he's slowly morphed into Alan himself. That's what I was going to say. I think you do have have this issue with um. The, the later later era Alan like the the further you get the closer him and Steve are becoming to, to the same person so yeah it is particularly in in their, their speech and mannerisms these days that there isn't very much that actually separates the two anymore moving on to other quote-unquote Coogan projects um I'm sure news has found its way to most of you that uh, the witch finder was axed after one series um we obviously reviewed that as it was so partridge adjacent so you can go back and listen to our thoughts about the first series or are we only series now of the witch finder uh, but yeah sadly it won't be commissioned again um there's an article in the scottish sun which i thought was incredibly prejudiced um it opens with steve coogan is probably wishing he'd stuck to alan partridge after another of his tv projects hit the skids i mean <laughs> there is so much wrong with that sentence i barely know where to start i mean firstly it's not exactly a coogan project yeah it's made by baby cow but he you know he didn't direct it um i think he he might have produced it but you know it's not really a coogan i think project. he had a co-writing credits on a yeah on like episode, yeah. you know he's not in it it's not yeah. it's not a coogan project is it it's a gibbons project um probably wishing he'd stuck to alan partridge well he never stopped doing partridge obviously um he didn't he didn't stop anything as far as i can tell to do this really he did this as well as other stuff there was plenty of other things he was doing at the same time um another of his tv projects hit the skids how many other projects i mean obviously if you're baby cow and you're commissioning a load of comedies not all of them are going to go on to have more than one series like 
I just think it's it's very uh, vindictive the way it's been written. BBC Two sitcom The Witchfinder, it continues, which aired last March with Daisy May Cooper and Timmy Key in leading <laughs> roles, has been axed after just one series. And then it goes on to say, Tim Key, who is best known for playing Simon, Alan Partridge, <laughs> sidekick, took the role of Witchfinder Gideon Bannister. So, I mean, not only are they trying to stick the booth into Coogan, I think quite unfairly, um, it's, it's riddled with basic errors, uh, as you might expect from an outlet like The Scottish Sun. Um, but yeah, I'm quite sad about that. I did have a soft spot for Witchfinder. I would have watched another series. Interesting to see what they did with it next. I suppose it's kind of a concept that might be hard to spin into a second series. Ultimately, once Tim Key and Daisy May Cooper are somewhat friends, that's sort of the end of the tension. Yeah, that was my kind of view on it, that actually, you know, I'm sure they would have wanted a second series, could have made it work, but in reality, it was written that it could have been just one episode, uh, one series, sorry, and that actually would have been fine. I wonder if it suffered a little bit from kind of being pitched as a bigger show than it maybe had a right to be, and if it had been on at, say, 10 or 10.30 at night or, uh, or, or in a different kind of channel maybe, then the expectations might not have been quite so high but I, I think it can leave with its head held high it's a great series and I need to rewatch it I think perhaps if they pitched it a bit more as you know this is 70% Detectorist 30% Blackadder that would have uh, then it would have found its audience that's that's a very good sum- summary I think I quite, as a mix I'm I'm sold on that and I don't, I don't think that's ever quite how it was really pitched was it when it started yeah broadly agreed would absolutely watch that um, but now moving on from Alan's uh, other projects, Alan's other projects, Steve's other projects, uh, back to... Always do that. <laughs> I always do that. I always do it. Uh, back to Oast House, and we've got some feedback on Oast House Series 1, all the way back to Series 1, blimey. Yeah, and this is an interesting uh, email from Tia Manisto, which in my mind is already starting to meld with uh, Dr. Terrible's House of Horror, perhaps, as well. So Tia writes, Hello, chaps. I'm a latecomer to your podcast, so I'm still working my way through the episodes. Apologies if this has been solved already by some of your expert listeners. But when I was listening to From the Oast House, and I do believe this refers to Series 1, Episode 15, um, Alan recounted a story um, about a deeply unsettling blue movie, and I knew immediately what film he meant. A 1970s hammer horror film called Lust for a Vampire. In 1988 or thereabouts, I watched it on my own on a dark autumn night, and it freaked me out for weeks. It was fascinating and really terrifying on equal measure. So I agree with Alan here. I think I owe my lifelong love of bad horror films to this film. The visuals really stuck in my mind for years to come. Uh, so at the risk of uh, overexposing producer Jed, um, if Jed, if you have seen uh, Hammer Horror 1970s film Lust for a Vampire, now will be a great time for a one minute review. Welcome back to Jed's one minute movie reviews. Grab your garlic necklaces and prepare for a hilarious ride through the halls of horror with Hammer's own Lust for a Vampire. If you're looking for a movie that combines the suspense of the vampire flick with the unintentional comedy of a school play, then sink your teeth into this boobalicious gem. From the moment the sultry vampire strides into the screen, you'll be torn between laughter and genuine fear. But mostly laughter. Watching Aura's characters make decisions so questionable, you'll wonder if there was a script at all, or just LSD-fueled scribbles in the back of the Ladybird Book of Vampires. But fear not, dear listener, for amidst the calling dialogue and over-the-top acting that's more hammy than Bernard Matthews, there lies a glimmer of brilliance. Witness scenes so delightfully absurd, they'll have you shouting at the screen, that's not how vampires work! And the costumes. You'll be treated to an array of fantastic fashion choices that range from 70s chic to, did they just raid a South London charity shop or a spirit Halloween? 
So in conclusion, this really isn't up there with my favourite Hammer movies. Try Plague of the Zombies if you want to see what Hammer can do on a minuscule budget. But I give Lust of the Vampire 3.5 out of 5 because I can't remember what scale I used before because it's been ages. So now it's out of 5. Back to the boys and thank you for joining me one last time on Jed's One Minute Movie Reviews. <laughs> thanks Jed. Or not, or not. No thanks, depending on what you actually said. Then we'll find out in the edit. Um, and I, I think this, the, the thing about this kind of Hammer Horror style film as well, I'm pretty sure that when we did cover Ice House Series One originally, we had some similar feedback. And I think didn't somebody suggest it was a film like Lesbian Vampire Killers or something? Yeah, like yeah. That? something that like that is about. ringing a bell, but I couldn't find the exact note. So um, maybe we'll we'll never know for sure. Well, we've had more speculation um, and feedback on uh, the Oast House, and this comes from Chris Payne, and he writes, I've just been re-listening to some old episodes and heard the part where you were discussing uh, Oast House Series 1, Episode 3. The Echelon Dating Agency set Alan up with a woman, and he was in a year-long sex- sexless relationship where they would go on walks and put their hands down each other's pants. <laughs> Great. <laughs> on, the, on the pod, you didn't see the need for this and described it as a bit confusing. There was speculation that the woman was a prostitute and Alan didn't realise he needed to pay. I'm probably not the first person to make this point since the episode went out, but surely the key detail is that Alan put his hand down the back of her trousers and she put her hands down the front of his. In the words of Alan, looks like a lady, but really, it's a man. Um, I still don't, I'm still not sure I understand that story, but does, does anyone uh, get it now uh, after remember... Chris has shone a bit more light on it? Well, that, that story is implying that... Um... That Alan is with a lady boy. He puts his hands down the back because I don't, have you seen the ending of Ace Ventura Detective? I think he found I Captain think, Winky. Uh, I think they uh, I think perhaps there's a bit of overthinking going on here. I think but, so, yeah. But then, well, that's but then, what we're here for. In order, this in, is what the podcast is, is about. In order to overthink the overthinking, I also think that they've misquoted here. I believe the correct quote is "looks like a lady," but in fact, it's a chap. Oh, I think there pedant. are two versions of the quote. There I think are. there are two versions of the quote because I thought that was wrong as well. But I think in the, I think I might have this the wrong way around. Someone correct us. I think in I'm Alan Partridge in the series, he says really it's a man. But I think in um, the man who thinks he's it, I think he says it's a chap. Um, it's a chap. Yeah, yeah. So I think there are actually two. And um, in one of the really really early episodes of Monkey Tennis, we played in like a kind of like dance mega mix of lots of Partridge quotes. That's and where I was remembering there. it from. And in yeah, in my mind, it's like that they're they're both kind of intertwined. So I might I might have which way around it is wrong, but yeah, that there are two versions. Um, but I would say to to this email, it's a bit like well, it, it's pure speculation in terms of what we suggested when we talked about it, and and what um and what Chris is suggesting as well. It's a bit like well, both are a bit weird and a, it's a bit kind of obtuse, isn't it? Like it's not definitive what's actually going on there with the joke and. You know, that is part of the thing. It's perhaps it could be either of those things. And again, much like so many of these messages, we'll probably never know. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And quickly moving on to Oast House Series 2 feedback. Paddy McGuinness got in... Oh, no, Paddy McGuinness didn't get in touch. Jamie Atkinson got in touch. Paddy McGuinness got in touch to uh, to promote some very competitive holiday deals. Jamie Paddy, Atkinson, if you're listening, please do get in touch. Uh, Jamie Atkinson got in touch regarding Paddy McGuinness. Uh, Paddy McGuinness, in his autobiography, said when he was still a massive Partridge fan, he had a couple of bad experiences with Steve, including the 2001 comic relief special, where he felt Coogan coldly ignored him. Carrying on, I'm guessing Coogan doesn't rape McGuinness, given there are jibes at him in both series of Oast House. Um, yeah, a little bit of bad blood between the two of them if they're you know, sort of sniping at each other in their respective... Well, Paddy McGuinness in his actual autobiography and uh, Steve Coogan through the medium of Partridge. I'd love to know if this is because of some perceived wrong in the comedy worlds where they've overlapped, perhaps when Coogan is sort of uh, in his ascendance around the same time as Phoenix Knight's. Or whether this is just that Steve Coogan just looks down on Paddy McGuinness and his sort of level of performer in the sense that he sees the comedy as more lowbrow or he sees him as just, you know, that guy that did take me out. I mean, I, I would go with the, the, the kind of lowbrow option because I think yeah. as well, they inhabit quite different spaces in the comedy world. And I think um, the thing about Coogan's Ascendance and Phoenix Knights, you know, Coogan won the Perrier Award in, what was it, 92 or whatever, or even earlier than that, maybe. So... Yeah, I, I think in terms of their career gestations, Coogan's been around for much longer than McGuinness, so I don't think it'd be something like that. Um, I do wonder as well whether Coogan genuinely has beef because of McGuinness doing things like uh, promoting, uh, doing like uh, gambling adverts and stuff, because I think there are jibes about that in Oast House, if I, if I remember. So it might be very much a Coogan yes, Alan yes, for something like that. But I think without a doubt, they're just in such different space in the comedy world. I I think there is definitely an aspect of looking down or look, looking down one's nose at him, perhaps. Uh, so enough about all that. Let's talk animal verbs. Um, we made a call out uh, in reference to Oast House Series 2, Episode 3, cowing a fox um, around permutations of animal verbs. But uh, Jacob Saxton, our listener, was not content to leave it there. Uh, <laughs> he writes, Dear Monkey Tennis, I would like to suggest that you can parrot a hound, hound a parrot, goose a hog, hog a goose, catfish a bee, be a catfish, a sort of a development of what Alan said, but fine to join in. Um, 
I'd, I'd agree, Jacob, but I would say that you're in danger of frogging a dead horse. <laughs> great. Great. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, keep it, keeping on the Ace House theme, um, Isla Scott got in touch with us over email, and thank you, Isla, for incredibly typing up the complete transcripts for Ace House Series 1 and Jesus. 2. And Amazing. With us. I mean, I dread to think how many hours that took, because, you know, we're currently working through doing the notes for Ace House Series 3, or Series 3, Tronchity, and it takes bloody ages. Is this where we find out she did it with AI and it took about six minutes? <laughs> um, I don't think so. Um, not <laughs> not from what I... It's oh, God, like no, email. no, I'm reading ahead now. God, she really has put in the yeah. effort. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Isla writes, suffice to say, it's taken many weeks to do this, but I finally finished typing up a transcript for from the Oast House. Over summer, I typed up Series 1, and I've just finished typing up a transcript for Series 2, Tranche 1. Uh, it should make it a lot easier to double-check how often he makes that I must try stand-up comments, uh, references to Schnapsy or Shapsy. No, wait, I've got that wrong. Shap- Shapsy or Schnapsy, um, SL. And since I went to the effort to do it, I thought the least I could do is share it with the other Alanites. Is that the agreed term? Hmm, not sure we have agreed a term for that. Um, also, I'd noticed the discrepancy regarding a replacement for Seldom. Given Alan doesn't reference having another dog in subsequent episodes, pods, so far anyway, I assume he hasn't replaced Seldom. I was pleased you mentioned it, though. It's not just me thinking that episodes contradicted one another. I also enjoyed your attempts at Monkey Tennis Jingles. Good work, Jed et al. Also, I hadn't realised the Osaus Eps had names until I heard you mention that on the pod. I found them on IMDb now. Nice one. Yeah, absolute uh, hats off there. I think we all know how much time it takes to type up notes. So uh, fair play, Isla, and thank you. Um, I'm very thank you. I'm very thank you. Um, And a very thank you to our uh, next uh, listener. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce this. uh, Rajin, Rajin, uh, 1982. Hopefully I've got that right. Either way, they write, Hi guys, I have a theory that Katrina isn't real. Bombshell. Bum, bum, bum. Alan admits he's lonely. Maybe he's just invented his perfect woman. Also, he previously mentions two other neighbours. How many does he have? Also, Alan seems to have a preference for smoky women. That's women who (laughs) smoke. Um, I don't know what we think about that. Is Katrina real? Uh, One thing I will say is a little bit of a spoiler for um, what's coming next with the Oast House, which we will be reviewing uh, soon, is my love for Katrina and the character Katrina is... (laughs) <laughs> going up <laughs> and up and up. Is she basically your perfect woman? She's great. She's great. She's got her head screwed on. She smokes like a chimney. She drinks like a fish. And she's extremely right wing. <laughs> Nick is all about that. <laughs> Imagine Liz Truss. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. I, I did like that this this person seems to think that it's, it's absolutely out of the realms of possibility for anyone to have more than three neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Have you seen the TV show Neighbours? They've got loads of them. <laughs> Next up, Jack Dorm has been in touch by email and he says, Hi guys, love the pod and I thought I would share something I noticed with you. In the Oast House series 2, uh, Alan describes his romantic novel set in wartime France. His cadence and way of describing the book sounded just like a Richard Madeley interview of him describing his own novel, which I've shared here. Give it a listen and I think you will agree. As we all know, Maidley is more partridge than partridge at this point. Who knows if this is deliberate? Um, we should play in a clip of this, but just before we do, I have listened to it and it is amazing how I, like, how similar they are. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So let's uh, let's play let's play in a clip of that now. 
presenter, author and radio presenter. Last heard on Radio 2 on Sunday, in for Michael Ball. Richard Maidley is here not to talk about radio or TV, but to talk about the night book out in paperback today. Richard, welcome. <laughs> Hello, nice to see you. Very good to see you. Now, why is it called the night book? Ah, well, it's based on a secret diary that is kept by my, I would call her heroine, some people would say she's an anti-heroine. She's married to a deeply, deeply unpleasant man. He's a psychological bully. It never was meant to be that way, but that's how the marriage has turned out. And uh, he treats her abominably. But she's a radio agony aunt. It's 1976, as you say, and she has a burgeoning career. She's very, very beautiful. She's called Meriel. But she has never shared with her listeners and her viewers, because she's on telly as well, that her marriage is poison. It's a car crash. Because she thinks that if she does, then they won't trust her advice to other women. So her way out of this impasse psychologically is to keep the night book. And what it is, it's a secret diary, a fantasy diary. And when her husband's been particularly vile to her and left her in bits, by the time he's gone to bed and they sleep in separate rooms, she's ready to write. And I have to warn your listeners and hopefully my readers <laughs> if they get the book, that these are extremely graphic, short interludes of violence where mm. she kills him. But that's the way she keeps her sanity. That's her release. As I said, set in 1976, that was the incredible hot summer. Do you remember I the remember summer of 76? well, yeah, and I've chosen a song for the end have you? that brings back, <laughs> will bring back memories of that year. Because what I wanted, in all my books, I have a sense of time. I always set them in the past because I like writing about the past and a strong sense of place. So the first novel I wrote was set in the south of France in the early 1950s, very glam. The last one was set in the Florida Keys in the early 60s, the era of the Kennedys. Again, quite glam. This is 76 in the hottest summer in British history in the beautiful lakes. Now, I was a 19-year-old kid. I was a, a, a local radio reporter. I started in papers in London, and I drove to Carlisle for my first job in radio in May 76, just as this heat wave started. And the effect on the lakes was incredible. I mean, it was like being in the Italian lakes. You know, yeah. Windermere was like Como. It was yeah. just beautiful, and I'd never been to the lakes before, and I just couldn't believe how gorgeous they were. There we go, and I think we can all agree that Partridge is Maidley and Maidley is Partridge. Moving on to uh, some imagery uh, chat around the uh, the series of Oast House. Um, as always, we can always rely on our listeners to uh, Photoshop accordingly when the occasion calls for it. Um, in episode nine of Oast House season two, um, you have Alan talking about how the other day he spent four hours on Photoshop trying to make his shoulders broader, his jaw squarer and his beard <laughs> pointier. And while initially pleased with the results, he went too far and ended up looking like a thin genie. Well, thanks so much to Andy McDonald, who has mocked up Alan's, uh, Alan's approximate uh, photoshopped image, uh, which we'll share on socials. Um, but we're all having a lovely chuckle looking at it now, which I appreciate. It's not great for a podcast listener, but just all the more encouragement to go on our social media. And then you can have a look at Andy McDonald's thin genie version of Partridge, which frankly, I now can't unsee. And continuing the feedback on Oast House Series 2, um, Stoughton Ale on Instagram uh, wrote to us, Gentlemen, in this episode, and I, I'll be honest, I can't remember whether this is episode 3 or 4, we probably should refer to Isla's transcripts to get this right. Um, they write, In this episode, Alan says, Bastard cut file, not bastard cup final. A bastard cut file is the coarsest metal file, like one you'd hide in a cake if you're breaking someone out of prison. Okay, <laughs> bye. Great knowledge. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. So that's uh, a lot of uh, prison outbreaks under under his belt there. Um, so yeah, that was uh, us getting it wrong, uh, saying we thought it was bastard cup final, didn't we? Yeah, uh, which in yeah. which in hindsight makes far less sense than bastard <laughs> yeah. cup file. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on, we have a message from Love You Take Love You Make, um, who's written in on Instagram and. 
they write, just putting it out there, putting butter on only one slice of bread is demented, and thinking that most of the population agree with his opinion is the deranged ramblings of a mentalist. Bye. Um, and this, I think... Do we need to recap what that's in reference to? Yeah. Yeah. So this is in, in reference to the Oast House where Alan has a falling out um, where his friend... God, is it like... Uh, I can't remember his, his name. Is it Greg or something like that? Or Nathan? Um, uh, his, Ronald? It's Ronald. It wasn't Greg or, or Nathan. It's Ronald. It's Ronald. <laughs> where Ronald's wife um, only buttered one side of, of the bread and Alan disagreed with this and there was uh, uh, a fierce and heated debate but ultimately, no, Alan... no, 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 no. I don't think that was it, wasn't it? He has a disagreement with Ronald about the um, almost like the quantity of the ham and the sandwiches stuff. The thing about buttering one piece of bread that was Tom Stab. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, was it leading into leading into the next point? I was adamant that well, not adamant, but I was like basically, I only butter one side of bread when making a sandwich, and the reason is. Because, because she puts too much butter in the sandwiches. That's, that's it. it, isn't it? She puts too, she much, puts too butter much butter in. You're right. You're whereas, right. Whereas I am actually on the other side of that, where I probably don't put enough in, according to 74.3% of our listeners who voted on this poll. But what I would say is still, in my defence, that you have one slice of bread, you butter it, you put, let's say it's ham and cheese, bang, bang, lovely stuff on that side. The other slice of bread, my mum makes a cracking piccalilli, and I don't want to put butter on the piece of bread and then put the piccalilli on there because the butter's going to mix in with the piccalilli and I don't want that. I want the tasty, delicious, tangy, zingy piccalilli flavour so I don't want any butter on that so I'll put all the uh, piccalilli on the other side of the bread and then bang, put them together and then you've got yourself well, I think a that, lovely sandwich. That's one, that's one very specific uh, a, a example. I, I think the the general thing being that Tom Stab only butter one piece <laughs> of bread in the sandwich uh, what I'm hearing is let's review the evidence. Let's review the evidence here, right? <laughs> the thinking that most of the population agree with his opinion is the deranged ramblings of a mentalist, right? It would so appear you that are I, basically a yeah. deranged mentalist. It would appear so. Right? And also, the evidence speaks for itself. We ran the polls on our socials. Seventy-four point three percent on Twitter said yes, they butter both pieces of bread, and seventy-six percent on Instagram said yes. So, Tom Stab, you are in the minority. You are bang wrong. I have to say, the, mo- the most startling uh, thing that came from this poll is the fact there's 144 people willing to vote on it at all. <laughs> Did, I mean, what I will say is that um, the, the, the poll that you've included as evidence in, in, uh, in this uh, feedback document is from, from okay. Twitter, which, as we know, is the, uh, the, 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 the platform for the deranged mentalists and conspiracy <laughs> well, theories. Before, this was before, uh, no, this was before no, Musk took it over, so it was fine. It's been, it's been, and no, also, I, I, if that's your argument, if that's your argument, the percentage uh, against you is even higher on Instagram. One in so four. where are you going well, with this? I can't, I can't see that. That's not. In front. I'm being. I'm just talking about the pre- evidence that's being presented in mm. front of me that says one in four people agree with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that, that is yeah. one way of looking I'm, at it, isn't it? I, I, I imagine there were probably more. People that's that, quite annoying, actually. <laughs> there were probably more people that would vote in your favour, Tom, but that because they hadn't had enough butter, they were too weak to vote. <laughs> also, in this economy, my butter is going further than everyone else's. I'm getting through half the amount of butter that everyone else is, and therefore I'm saving, and I can spend more money on things that, uh, like Guinness or Piccadilly. And you really will spend that money. No, no, no. I don't yeah. need to buy piccalilli. My mum makes a cracking piccalilli. I cannot Are we still that talking off. about this? Yeah. Are we still <laughs> talking about it? <laughs> um, okay. On to stratagem <laughs> feedback, because we simply must cover stratagem. We're obliged to. 
Um, oh, David, do we have to? David Driscoll got in touch and said, at least, at, least the, at least the message is short about it. Yeah. <laughs> Strap in. Dear Dallin Shids, writes David Driscoll, I hope that you are all well. Thanks for the recent episode regarding Stratagem on Amazon Prime. Like Tom Dark, I was unable to attend a live show and so only caught up with it on Prime. Unlike Tom Dark, however, I wasn't adding to the overpopulation of a dying planet. I just couldn't be bothered going to Dublin. Congratulations, I suppose, Tom. Um, as a fop since Know Me Knowing You with Adam Partridge, I have to say that I found this new show very disappointing. I agree with a lot of the comments made on the podcast. The sound mixing is absolutely brutal. Most of the gigs gags fall flat, and I really think that Gibbons is 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 slash Coogan phoned this in. The conversation with Lynn, time travelling, brackets, Christ help us, and the stage invasion, in inverted commas, are things that feel like clutching at straws on their behalf. I think there may have been a miscalculation regarding how much collective goodwill was lying about for live performances post-Covid. Sure, we were all starved of live entertainment from bands, stand-ups, etc., who received a rapturous reception when things finally opened back up. Goodwill and audience, partic- audience anticipation only carries you so far, though. You can't just churn out any old bollocks. That slot is already taken by Mrs. Brown's boys. Given the quality of Partridge <laughs> since his resurrection, Stratagem is a major misfire and is certainly one of the very few things in the APU that I won't bother with again. 2-1-10, a veritable foot pierced on a spike. Well, Dave, I think you were even more scathing than we were, and we were relatively scathing. Uh, it's definitely not in our top echelons of Partridge, but um, yeah, thanks very much for your thoughts, and as always, agree with you on Mrs. Brown's boys. Yeah, there's there's no disagreement there. Um we also have a message on stratagem from Adrian Bavisto, which is a slightly different viewpoint. Adrian writes, I feel like I have to defend it, and it wasn't his best work. There were definitely bits that didn't work, but I still feel like you guys are way too hard on it. Uh, I do need to say I wasn't able to see it live and watch it on streaming. I do have some thoughts on all new Partridge material. I think Alan peaked very early in this 30-year period, and it's incredibly hard to keep that high standard up without messing it up. I think we go into new material with really big expectations, and it's easy to be let down. What I do find is that on a second or third rewatch, those expectations have gone and it could be viewed for what it is, which is usually really great comedy. Um, I mean, I think that's a very fair point. Our expectations are always super high going into New Partridge. And I think, you know, I think we'd agree with Adrian up to a point in terms of everything that has been new in the time Alan has existed as a character has been of pretty high quality until we get to stratagem to be honest i think it's easily the worst thing partridge has ever done um you know i think we all love things like mid-morning matters this time uh the the, the books oast house like they're all great and i think all of those properties as well really do benefit from a third or or, or fourth watch or listen as well so you know I, I think definitely agreeing with adrian on that point but i would still maintain that stratagem is not good and it will not be getting any rewatches here I would say I slightly disagree with Adrian's point about saying how Alan peaked very early in this 30-year period. I mean, commercially, yes. Um, Quality-wise, I don't think that's true at all. And I think the reason that we go into uh, new partridge material with really big expectations is because since the Gibbons have been involved, the standard has been 90%, you know, hit. And I think we go into... We, we went into stratagem with high expectations because we had no evidence to suggest that it was going to be anything other than really good so um yeah our expectations are high but that's because they have set that bar so high and i don't think necessarily it's because um i don't sorry i don't think it's be- because alan peaked uh 30 years ago i think he's consistently stayed very very strong and it maybe is just commercially peaked 30 years ago ref- as reflected in ticket sales 
Well, Jamie Atkinson has written in um, and keen to share thoughts on Stratagem. They write, my favourite Alan is him bouncing off the regular supporting cast, but I understand it would be hard to get them to do a stage show. Even Simon Greenall, uh, who did the comic relief shorts at the time, isn't in the 98 show. And Alan Solo is hilarious when rambling to himself or doing documentaries with bad editing, um, which can't really be done on stage. So it's probably why they fell back on the old lecture format and why it didn't work. Um, so another uh, notch on the stratagem not being great leaderboard. However, uh, contrary to that, uh, our state dancer on Instagram got in touch and said, I thought it was excellent. I was shocked to read all the negativity on IMDb. Regarding empty seats, I think a lot of fans could just not afford the price of the tickets. I'm friends with a few Partridge obsessives like me who have attended all of his live shows since The Man Who Thinks He's It in 97 and trying to book a seat towards the back of the Manchester Arena was over £90. So £180 plus booking fees for me and my wife to attend uh, really was a bridge too far. In the current climate, they could have perhaps taken a socialist leaf out of Paul Heaton's book who capped it all of his ticket prices uh, to £35 for all of his arena shows last December. You know, I think that's actually a very, very good point. I think, um, uh, obviously, when you go into arena-level comedy, and to be fair to sort of um, Steve and the Gibbons and, and the promoters, agents, etc., um, there, there was a fair bit of production involved in um, in Stratagem um, in terms of the set design and, and um, screens, etc., etc. Um, so, obviously, you know, that, that kind of needs to be covered, and obviously there needs to be a profit needs to be made by all those putting on the show. But it is still a good point that £180 plus booking fee um, is a lot for two people to go and see it. So it probably did impact a, quite a few people's decisions to buy tickets or not. It does seem mad, yeah, to charge that much, especially kind of coming out of COVID, a lot of people in sort of slightly difficult financial situations. Uh, big fan of uh, Paul Heaton's uh, attitude towards it, although I would ask you, what is Paul Heaton driving? Um, and has that got some bearing <laughs> on the fact that he's capped his ticket prices, whereas Coogan's charging 90 to 180 quid? Um, but yeah, uh, amazing, yeah. Uh, amazing. Yeah. The uh, it, it, dig under the surface of Paul Heaton, and you find all sorts of uh, all sorts of nice things that he's done for the public and for journalists and charity. So uh, yeah, fair play to him. Um, moving on, Backpack Digital on Instagram said of Stratagem, it felt much better live than it does on TV. Having said that, better is still not good. My favourite part of Partridge is nuance, and all of that was somewhat rightfully, you have to play to the people at the back, lost. Um, I think that's true. I also think perhaps it's not where the given skill set lies. I wonder if, if actually the, the Inucci era Partridge or the Coogan Inucci written Partridge would work better um, as sort of broader arena comedy. Whereas I feel like the Gibbons excel, it, like say, in, in the nuance, in the sort of sideways glances, in the blinking you'll miss it moments in the going back and having to re-listen to oast house and you can't do that in arenas um and i think they they had a you know they they swung hard at arena comedy and and it was a miss sadly yeah i i would agree with that i think i think the the almost like the, the first wave of partridge the late 90s partridge the the Inuchi era i think definitely worked much better in a live format i mean i've said this in the past i still think the partridge section of the man who thinks he's it for me really holds up still and i think that's probably the best live version of partridge that i've seen across all the live shows he's done um, because i think in that era you did have those more kind of slapstick moments um you think you know i don't know like falling backwards o over the sofa 
um like you know all those sort of things impending the foot on the spike type stuff where you get these kind of bigger more physical and uh, or moments with a focus on the physical which does i guess lend itself to bigger arena style type venues and shows the irony being uh i think in the late 90s um like the man who thinks he's it tour that was a theater tour so he wasn't even doing arenas at that point anyway where arguably it would have worked better and read better with the crowd and i think i mean this stratagem will have been the biggest venues that they'd ever done because i think we went to see um other less successful characters that was i think hammersmith apollo in london so again a step up from theaters but also not like arena size so it's funny how like the comedy that's being written has gone one direction. The size of venues has gone the other. So it's they it's, they've kind of missed each other in terms of how it should have how it probably performed best. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and that brings us to the end of our episode, but not the end of your feedback. So we will be back shortly with part two of a feedback special, which will be covering all sorts of things from uh, Alan's uh, attempts at veganism uh, to the uh, bombshell announcements um, and. Uh, information around oast house series three um in the run-up to us covering that series as well um as ever we would love for you to get in touch with us uh, with your thoughts theories and questions uh, on instagram it's at monkey tennis pod twitter at the partridge pod facebook.com slash the partridge pod the monkey tennis hotline is down due to overwhelming demand uh, but we'd still love to hear your voices so feel free to email us a voice memo and we may include that in a future episode um and if you can't be bothered to do all of that, for God's sake, at least do some of the podcast basics. Follow and subscribe, star in Spotify, tell a friend, share an episode. Um, so we will join you for more feedback next week. But from all of us at Monkey Tennis, lovely to be back. Thanks and goodbye. I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Monkey Tennis? Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Dad! Monkey tennis. Little pierce my foot on the spine. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Oh. Monkey tennis. Radical. Awesome. Mega. <laughs> Monkey tennis. Okay. Where's my assistant? I do not know. Monkey tennis. Edmunds is a total wazzock of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, who the hell is that? Oh, this is great banter. Yeah. Monkey Tennis, back of the net. The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.